Hello and welcome to Direct Relief News. I'm your host, Amory Garafinelli. On this episode of the podcast, we look at how the pandemic is affecting access to opioid treatment as overdoses continue to rise. Getting treatment for an opioid use disorder can be difficult. During a pandemic, it's even harder. People are navigating a changing landscape with shuttered programs and ambiguous new treatment guidelines, and they're doing it even as overdoses are on the rise. I think what's really changed is that uh, with the pandemic, many programs, frankly, shut their doors. Brendan Saloner is a professor of health policy and management at Johns Hopkins University. He studies access to treatment for those with opioid use disorders. I think, you know, there was a moment of panic back in March when places realized this was spreading very fast and nobody really knew how to contain it. So, um, you know, in that immediate aftermath of the emergency, uh, there was this move to just completely, you know, shut off uh, these points of connection with care. And for many patients, that was very devastating. So people lost their one of their main sources of continuity, not only with medication and with treatment, but also with a community of people that was, you know, there for them and part of their support network. For many, opioid treatment involves taking one of two drugs, methadone or buprenorphine. These are both opioids that act by binding to the same receptors in the brain as heroin or oxycodone, but they don't have a euphoric effect. They help by reducing cravings and preventing withdrawal symptoms. During the pandemic, the federal government has lifted certain regulations around the prescription of these drugs. The intention is to reduce barriers as social distancing and shutdowns make getting to a doctor's office more difficult. But it's not clear how effective these measures have been. So what regulatory changes have been made around prescribing addiction medication? So it's still the case that patients can only get methadone through opioid treatment programs. What happened under the regulatory change is that patients can now get more days of what's known as take-home methadone, meaning methadone that they're allowed to take out of the clinic and give to themselves at home. Um, So that that was a big deal, and that was done very deliberately to try to reduce crowding in the clinical setting. For buprenorphine, uh, you know, right now it still is the case that not every doctor or clinician can prescribe buprenorphine. It's also regulated under a separate set of federal regulations called the X waiver. So to get buprenorphine, uh, you know, a doctor has to have this additional credential or license from the federal government. So the X waiver still exists, even though there was some attempt recently to get rid of it. But, uh, you know, what has changed is that doctors that prescribe buprenorphine right now are not needing to meet the same kinds of face-to-face um, um, requirements around uh, initiating patients and then continuing patients in their treatment. So there again, you know, the intention has been to try to limit the number of times that patients actually have to come into their doctor's office to get their medication. But the new laws are somewhat ambiguous leaving it up to providers to interpret. The real tricky thing is that although there has been some uh, greater allowances of this take-home methadone, you know, allowing patients to not have to take the medicine every day in the clinic under observation, not a lot of guidance is out there about who should be eligible for take-home methadone. 
So, you know, the federal um, regulation is pretty, pretty ambiguous, actually, about what a quote unquote stable patient is, the patient that who would be, you know, who would be eligible to get up to 28 days of take home methadone. And that ambiguity has, I think, given rise to very uh, different kinds of treatment protocols in different clinics. So some clinics, again, are having those patients coming in very often to get their dispensed medication. That's been the experience of Kim Brown, who runs Quad Cities Harm Reduction in Iowa and Illinois. The group distributes supplies to people who use drugs, including naloxone or Narcan, the medication used to reverse opioid overdoses. By founding QC Harm Reduction officially in 2015, um, we were out on the streets um, slinging Narcan from 2012 onward. Uh, I'd get my hands on Narcan one way or another, and it went to the drug users in our community. She says during the pandemic, many of those enrolled in opioid treatment programs haven't benefited from the new rules. So can you talk about the regulatory changes and, and how they're affecting the drug users that you know? Um, folks with an opioid use disorder who are a protected class under the ADA were supposed to get take-homes for a month, at the least take-homes for two weeks to keep them safe. They didn't follow those mandates, and if somebody had drugs in their urine, they refused to give them take-homes and demanded that they get on a city bus or try to find a ride to get to the clinic every day between 6 a.m. and 12.30 to get their dose during a pandemic. Those are the barriers that have been placed in front of our participants. According to the law, providers are allowed to administer urine tests to patients undergoing opioid treatment. When and how frequently is up to their discretion. And because guidelines around what is considered stable and unstable are vague, some providers may use a urine test to decide. As Brown has found, those deemed unstable may not be eligible for multiple weeks worth of take-home medication, meaning they need to go to a clinic every day to take their prescription. While the pandemic has made accessing daily treatment more difficult, providers are experiencing challenges of their own. So tell me a little bit about how the pandemic is affecting your operations at QC Harm Reduction and the people that you reach. In our area, with our unhoused folks, the shelters... Maybe I should start. We can edit this, right? I should start from the beginning. Um, In January and February, we were really getting up and running over in Rock Island, getting all our services set up. And we were paying attention to the pandemic, but I don't think anybody realized the significance of it, right? Um, Until it got significant. So I think part of the struggles for our... um, Our drug users is many of them are unhoused. The shelters decided to house all of our unhoused folks, well, as many as they could, in the motels on the outskirts of town. Um, They could be in Davenport. Uh, They could have been over here um, out by the airport. They could be in Bettendorf. But they housed them in motels to um, keep to help people stay self 
physically distanced from other folks and um, to try to keep folks from being, to, be, to keep them safe. Once they were, once every, it was kind of like everybody scattered. Does that make sense? Um, once they were in the motels, then they had rules to follow. It was almost like everybody quit moving around in the Quad Cities. And when we went out on outreach to find our, the folks that were moving around, they were very seldom where they always were before the pandemic started. They were indoors, doors shut, following rules, and not out engaging with us on a weekly basis. Across the nation, drug overdoses have increased substantially. According to data released by the CDC, drug-related deaths were up 20% in the 12 months leading into spring 2020. While the numbers show death rates rising before the pandemic, the biggest spike occurred between March and May of last year. The CDC attributes these increases primarily to polluted drug supplies. So I know there's been disruptions in the drug supply chain. How have these disruptions affected drug users in your community? In this area, they, they're, they're um, encountering a lot of adulterated um, methamphetamines, a little bit of heroin. We don't have that much heroin here in our area right now. It's almost all fentanyl. And they were reduced to buying the methamphetamines, a little bit of heroin here and there. But by and large, most of the drug supply that came in came through here was adulterated with fentanyl. And if people weren't testing their dope, they were overdosing and dying because they weren't familiar with the amount of fentanyl that was present in that particular batch of, of dope. So we've experienced in this area, um, and I don't have an actual count on numbers for deaths, but I know Illinois' overdose death rate, I think, went up approximately 19%, and those numbers could have changed. And I believe Iowa's went up to like 35 or 36%. And it was because people were using, they were self-isolating, right? So they were using alone. They weren't, you never use alone, but they were using alone because they were isolated in motel rooms. They were isolated in little housing apartments that, that may, they may have been able to um, access, but they weren't with people. They were using alone. They were using extremely adulterated dope, weren't testing it like they should if they didn't have the strips. And we do hand out the strips, but if you're alone and you're isolated and you can't get somewhere, you're going to do what you do. And what they were doing is using alone with no one there to look after them in the event of an overdose. Isolation. So you think isolation is the main driver behind the, uh, the national increase in, in overdoses? I think it had a lot to do with it, don't you? Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can find Direct Relief News on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Until next time, I'm Amarika Raffanelli.